Hello and welcome back to this episode of the High Yield Podcast of Medicine. We have a couple episodes dedicated to pediatric rheumatology. In this episode, we will discuss juvenile idiopathic arthritis. What is juvenile idiopathic arthritis? It's a general term applied to a group of around six rheumatologic disorders with chronic idiopathic synovitis, inflammation of peripheral joints with effusion and soft tissue swelling, and elevated inflammatory markers such as ESR and CRP. What's the epidemiology of juvenile idiopathic arthritis? It's the most common type of chronic arthritis in children and is two to three times more common among female individuals, depending on the subtype. However, what is the subtype of JIA that shows equal prevalence between girls and boys that's not more common among female patients that is systemic onset JIA. Now what are the requirements as the diagnostic criteria for JIA or juvenile idiopathic arthritis? The onset of disease at or prior to age 16 with symptoms of arthritis including joint swelling, effusion, heat and limited range of motion with tenderness. The duration of symptoms should be at least six weeks and other causes of arthritis should have been ruled out. In other words, JIA is a diagnosis of exclusion. Even though it is approached as an idiopathic disorder, what are the pathogenesis for it? Pathogenesis is vascular endothelial hyperplasia together with synovitis and panus formation that results in articular cartilage erosion. There is evidence for immunogenetic susceptibility and association with HLA-DR5 and HLA-DR8. What are the main subtypes of JIA? It's oligoarticular, polyarticular, and the one with systemic onset. Remember we mentioned there are six subtypes, and that's because recently seronegative spondyloarthropathies of childhood have been categorized under juvenile idiopathic arthritis so we have two new categories that are psoriatic type juvenile idiopathic arthritis or briefly referred to as psoriatic arthritis of childhood and the other is enthesitis related arthritis these two have the features of spondyloarthropathies without axial involvement which more commonly occurs among adults with any subtype of seronegative spondyloarthropathy. And also the polyarticular form is itself further subdivided into seronegative and seropositive types. So altogether we have six groups, oligoarticular, seronegative polyarticular, seropositive polyarticular, the one with systemic onset, psoriatic arthritis, and finally enthesitis-related arthritis. Remember, some resources also talk about the seventh category, which is undifferentiated arthritis, and that's a subtype that fulfills criteria in no category or more than one category. Okay, briefly describe the systemic onset juvenile idiopathic arthritis. It's an arthritis of any number of joints together or preceded by fever of at least two weeks duration and at least one other extra-articular symptom from the following four. One, rash. Two, lymphadenopathy. Three, organomegaly. Four, cirrhosis. 
what is the hallmark of fever in systemic onset juvenile idiopathic arthritis? It should last at least two weeks. It has a documented quotidian or daily pattern for at least three days within that two-week period. What's the hallmark of the rash? It's described as a vanescent, that's non-fixed erythematous rash, usually salmon pink color. Why we describe it as systemic onset arthritis? Remember, the classification of juvenile idiopathic arthritis is based on clinical features in the first six months of the disease. Based on that, what are the features of oligoarthritis type JIA? By definition, it affects one to four joints during the first six months of the disease. What are the subcategories of oligoarthritis type? Persistent versus extended oligoarthritis. What's persistent? It's the one that affects not more than four joints throughout the disease course, while the extended subtype may affect more than four joints after the first six months of the disease, resembling the polyarticular subtype. That's why we say the predominant feature on the first six months is used for classification. Based on this, what is the polyarthritis type? It's the one that affects five or more joints in the first six months of the disease. We mentioned we further subcategorize this into rheumatoid factor negative versus positive subtypes. What are the required diagnostic criteria for the psoriatic arthritis among children? It's simply arthritis and psoriasis. However, if the diagnosis of psoriasis is not yet documented, presence of at least two of the following features can make the diagnosis. One is dactylitis, the other are nail dystrophic changes such as pitting or onycholysis, and the other is presence of psoriasis in a first degree relative. As you can see, HLA-B27 positivity is not part of the diagnostic criteria for psoriatic arthritis of childhood. How about enthesitis related arthritis? Well, the diagnostic criteria is fulfilled by simply presence of arthritis together with enthesitis or either one of arthritis or enthesitis together with at least two of the following. One, symptoms of sacroiliitis or lumbosacral involvement. Two, positive HLA-B27 antigen. Three, acute anterior uveitis. Four, positive family history of any subtype of seronegative spondyloarthropathy in a first degree relative. Now, couple point comparing and contrasting these subtypes of juvenile idiopathic arthritis. First of all, compare and contrast patterns of joint involvement in different subtypes. By definition, in oligoarticular JIA, we have asymmetric pattern of joints involved, while in both seronegative and seropositive subtypes of polyarticular JIA, we have symmetric pattern of joint involvement. In enthesitis-related type, by definition, lower extremity joints are predominantly targeted. Now, in most subtypes, hip joint is not involved. However, there is one exception to this. What is it? As you mentioned, in enthesitis-related JIA, we may have a positive history of sacroiliac joint tenderness or inflammatory lumbosacral pain. True or false, extra-articular manifestations are not seen in subtypes of JIA other than systemic onset. That's false, for example, the oligoarticular subtype is well known to have 
painless iridocyclitis as its complication or the enthesitis related type will have oral ulcers. On the other side the polyarticular type is associated with failure to thrive and if rheumatoid factor is positive there could be vasculitis and even rheumatoid nodule. Now the systemic onset juvenile idiopathic arthritis may have couple life-threatening complications and one of them is known as macrophage activation syndrome. What are the features of it? MAS, that's the life-threatening complication of systemic JIA, may manifest with bleeding, bruising, hepatic dysfunction, and neurologic symptoms such as lethargy, seizure, coma, together with unremitting fever and rash, which may eventually progress to shock and death. What are the lab findings on macrophage activation syndrome? Labs show sudden drop on all cell lines in CBC as well as dropped levels of fibrinogen in parallel to sudden skyrocketing of ferritin and elevation of liver function tests and LDH. What do you expect to see the levels of ESR during macrophage activation syndrome? There is a paradoxical drop in ESR due to fibrinogen consumption. What would bone marrow aspiration show in macrophage activation syndrome? It can be normal or it may show macrophages with hemophagocytosis. That's why some authorities consider macrophage activation syndrome to be related to HLH, the hereditary lymphohistiocytic hemophagocytosis, which is a disease with almost identical clinical presentation, but its diagnostic criteria can't be applied to systemic JIA. Now you don't need to focus too much on macrophage activation syndrome or HLH but except perhaps for two points. One is the fact that it is a diagnostic challenge that can be overlooked as a flare-up of systemic JIA and the other is therefore how to differentiate it from flares of JIA. So how do we differentiate macrophage activation syndrome which is a complication of systemic JIA from a flare of JIA? One, in macrophage activation syndrome we have CNS involvement. As I mentioned, lethargy, seizure, confusion, irritability, headache. Two, macrophage activation syndrome is associated with hemorrhagic complications and symptoms such as petechia and purpura, mucosal bleeding and coagulopathy. 3. The labs can help differentiate it as it shows high levels of ferritin and lactate dehydrogenase and low levels of fibrinogen and platelet count. Now what's the treatment for macrophage activation syndrome? That's simply high dose systemic glucocorticoids. Now talking about laboratory assessment in juvenile idiopathic arthritis, what labs could be ordered? In addition to assessment for ESR and CRP to support the presence of inflammatory arthritis, we also order rheumatoid factor and HLA-B27 measurements as well as anti-nuclear antibody. Remember, however, these labs are mostly for classification or prognostication value and none of these labs findings are used to establish the diagnostic criteria, as we already discussed. Now among this, what is the significance of ANA assessment? Positive ANA, especially in oligoarticular subtype of JIA, is associated with higher risk of iridocyclitis requiring screening eye exam in regular intervals. Now what is the value if any for imaging in JIA assessment? While radiographs are not helpful for 
establishing the diagnosis, given the fact that JIA is a diagnosis of exclusion, most clinicians still order radiographs to rule out other disorders as well as having a documented baseline. Describe the management of juvenile idiopathic arthritis. In a very simplified version, we initiate with NSAIDs, then we step up to DMARDs, either methotrexate or biologicals. However, there are so many exceptions that I would rather management very briefly but efficiently for each individual subtype, beginning with oligoarticular JIA. While we mentioned NSAIDs are the initial management, what factors should be taken into consideration in beginning the management of oligoarticular JIA? Simply presence or absence of poor prognostic features. Remember, presence of poor prognostic features means the patients would most likely not respond to NSAIDs and we need to initiate DMARDs from the very beginning. Now, what are these poor prognostic features? One is hip or cervical spine involvement, that's axial involvement. Second is ankle or wrist involvement. Third poor prognostic feature is marked or persistent elevation of inflammatory markers, ESR and CRP. And fourth poor prognostic feature is radiographic evidence of joint damage, such as erosion. If any of these prognostic features are present, what's the first drug? That's methotrexate. If poor prognostic features are absent, how we treat oligoarticular JIA? We begin NSAIDs as first line and we step up to intraarticular corticosteroid injection if needed. As usual, if all fails, we use TNF inhibitor biologicals. Okay, let's discuss polyarticular JIA. What's the exception to the rule of initiating with NSAIDs here? Remember, polyarticular JIA management should initiate with methotrexate. Then what's the use of NSAIDs for the polyarticular type? NSAIDs are used just as adjunct and not as monotherapy. As usual, we step up in the case of methotrexate failure or presence of poor prognostic features in the polyarticular subtype from methotrexate to biological such as TNF inhibitors. One other way to look at the polyarticular rheumatoid factor positive subtype of JIA is to consider it as an early onset rheumatoid arthritis and just simply follow the management algorithm of rheumatoid arthritis. Again, if it is symmetric polyarticular JIA with positive rheumatoid factor. And finally, what about the management of systemic onset JIA? Surprise, surprise, here again, the initial management is answered as first line. So what's the exception here? Because we are supposed to have exceptions, yes? Yeah, the exception here is we do not step up from NSAIDs to methotrexate, but we step up from NSAIDs if they fail to interleukin inhibitors, especially the inhibitors of pro-inflammatory pyrogenic interleukins. I'm talking about interleukin 1 and 6 inhibitors. So once more, if NSAIDs fail in the systemic JIA, what's the next step? Using anakinra, the interleukin 1 inhibitor, or tocilizumab, interleukin 6 inhibitor. What's the alternative to these interleukin inhibitors? Only in the systemic subtype, the alternative 
is systemic glucocorticoids. In what circumstance we use this alternative? If there is no prompt response to interleukin-1 or 6 inhibitors. And prompt response is defined as improvement of symptoms of arthritis, fever, and rash within a week of initiating anakinra or tocilizumab. By the way, this is completely logical because systemic type JIA, which is also referred to as what? It's referred to as Stills disease, is due to these inflammatory cytokines. So yes, knowledge of pathogenesis comes handy in real clinical decision making. Now is the right point to ask finally, what are then the indications of corticosteroid use in juvenile idiopathic arthritis? As I just mentioned, they can be used as a step-up alternative to interleukin inhibitors for the systematic subtype. Second indication is presence of life-threatening systemic disease in systemic JIA. Can you mention some of these life-threatening conditions? Pericarditis, myocarditis, and macrophage activation syndrome. Then we have two indications for local non-systemic steroid use in JIA. What are they? One is treatment of uveitis that we initiate with topical steroids, and the other is intraarticular injection that we consider for oligoarticular. By the way, what preparation is the drug of choice for intraarticular injection of corticosteroids? That's triomcinolone. There is one other condition we need to carefully follow up, especially in the cases of oligoarticular JIA. What is it? That is uveitis iridocyclitis. What patients have highest risk of uveitis? The JIA patients who are younger than seven years with oligoarticular subtype of JIA and positive ANA. How screening for uveitis is performed? It's performed at the baseline, that's upon patient's diagnosis. Then every three months for patients who have active disease, but depending on ANA level for patients with inactive disease. True or false, optometric assessment or office fundoscopic assessment are adequate for uveitis screening among JIA patients. That's false. It requires slit lamp assessment by ophthalmologist. Simple office ophthalmoscopic assessment is not appropriate for this purpose. Now, what is the earliest sign of uveitis among these patients? A hazy appearance that's mostly referred to as flare that's due to accumulation of protein and inflammatory cells. This is the earliest sign. The later signs could include poorly reactive pupil that indicates synechia, the adhesion between iris and lens, and later on keratitis and cataract. Now I would like to finish this episode with a couple of cases to emphasize on a couple of very high yield clinical facts. And the first one is a child with chronic joint pain, anemia, fever, organomegaly, and lymphadenopathy. What condition should be ruled out before we come up with the diagnosis of juvenile idiopathic arthritis of systemic subtype? Remember we mentioned the JIA is a diagnosis of exclusion. In this specific case with anemia and organomegaly and lymphadenopathy, we need to rule out leukemia, especially acute lymphoblastic type. What features can help differentiate these two conditions? In ALL, joint pains more commonly occur at nights. Fever does not demonstrate the daily spikes, the so-called quotidian pattern. 
peripheral smear may show blasts and labs will show high levels of lactate dehydrogenase. Do you remember in what other condition associated with similar symptoms we could have elevated LDH? That was macrophage activation syndrome. Can you describe this quotidian pattern of fever in systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis once more? It's a pattern of fever with once or twice daily spikes and normal temperature in between the spikes. Remember, continuous fever should suggest other diagnosis. This fever is also accompanied by the rash, the blotchy, pink, evanescent rash of systemic JIA. The second case is a known case of systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis who has come to ER with persistent fever and rash with labs showing high triglyceride level. They are not providing you with any other information but asking you what lab findings would you expect on CBC, on comprehensive metabolic profile and in terms of inflammatory markers. You should know that persistent non-evanescent rash and persistent non-quotidian fever in a patient with systemic JIA who has high triglyceride is the diagnosis for macrophage activation syndrome. CBC would show low platelet and profound anemia. Comprehensive metabolic profile would show transaminitis and pseudohyponatremia. Inflammatory markers will show massively high levels of ferritin but low levels of fibrinogen. The latter, low fibrinogen, will result on pseudonormalization of ESR. So you may have normal ESR. This is macrophage activation syndrome that needs systemic corticosteroid or it can be fatal. Regarding macrophage activation syndrome, what is the proposed culprit? A viral infection. Always remember macrophage activation syndrome is considered the most important contributor to mortality among kids with systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And this finishes our discussion of JIA. Thank you.